0: Wait a minute. Why am I worrying about this? You did it. All I have to do is go out there and tell them what happened. Then they'll say, well, who left him alone with the picture? And I say, me. And they'll say, well, you're fired. And I'll say, fine. No, 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 no. no. Then they'll say, firing him isn't enough. We'll prosecute you for negligence. And I'll go to jail. My wife leaves me. My daughter becomes a prostitute. I wind up on death row sharing a cell with Butch McDick. I've got to calm down. Okay. <laughs> Just give me one more look at a painting. Oh, God! <laughs> Hello, friends. And welcome <laughs> along to another episode of your favourite officially top 40 ranked UK-based movie Woo! podcast. Joining me as always the Dick Tracy and Dirk Diggler of the podcast in Cineverse what does it all bring, Basil? And sweet, merciful Jesus, it's Paul and Other Ben. Morning, chaps.
1: How are we doing, everybody? We all okay? That sounded like my internal monologue every time there's a compliance audit in one of my cinemas. <laughs> <laughs> and also... Who can I blame for this? Other Ben. Come on, mate. We're both Ben. We're both number one. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> exactly. That's why we didn't rank it. It's just Other, Other Ben. 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 Oh. Other Ben. I generally consider you both as number twos.
0: Oh, God bless you. Uh, as for our guest this week, there was going to be a small disclaimer apologising for the way he sounds due to some recent dental work. Then we realised he's just Welsh. da, It's Alex Evans.
3: <laughs> hey guys, thanks a lot for having me back. It's really great.
0: It is great. It and is when great. we say back, you haven't been on this podcast. You were, of course. I was on, on the
3: previous podcast, yeah, and it was ages ago now. I think it was just at the start of first lockdown, so... Quite a while ago.
0: 18 yeah. months ago or so. Christ almighty. Wow. Well, we're back and the cinemas are almost open, but I'm sure we're going to come on to that at some point. So we ended the last episode with a question, which means we have to start this one with the same question. And I asked you, from what is Rambo's red headband made? Less of the fabric and more about the item. Any guesses? Any... Pure biceps. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: uh, no, afraid not. Any- anything else?
3: Well, I, I I wasn't sure if you meant kind of what the fabric actually is in terms of when they made the film, or if it's got some sort of significance within the film, like some kind of it, Superman's cape kind of. Yeah, it has of... significance within the film. Okay, yeah. I don't know the
2: answer, but at well, least I got that far. I I can't remember the exact detail. but was I was ob- obsessed. No, I was obsessed with the first film with with First Blood. And I still think it stands up today. I think it's a fantastic movie. The subsequent, you know, the sequels were. Well, all levels of wrong in 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 certain areas, uh, but the first one's great, and, it, and I was obsessed with it at the time, and I bought the original novel that the film was based on. Is there an is, answer coming? It's very different. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I want to I want to say it's something to do with it's a piece of material from someone he knew. Is that is all right? That Ooh. God, I you can I can't... tell he's, hes a good actor, isn't it? When he googles it now, he really puts the effort into pretending that <laughs> he hasn't. Let's let's, let's, let's get this. It was out a of very way. long
3: backstory to let's that answer.
2: Let's get this out of the yeah. way now, because there are certain people that listen to this podcast that wait for this to come up. Fuck you.
3: Alan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway,
0: so you are—you are mostly right. In fact, so Rambo's red headband is a torn piece of fabric from the dress of his fallen love. Oh. Mm. 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 so there was a character called co who who is a vietnamese freedom fighter that assisted rambo in his journey to save the american pows after she saved his life they developed a romance but she was killed before they could go back to america and continue their lives together so he tore the piece of fabric from her red dress and wears it as a tribute to her i've never seen rambo is that in the film
3: i don't remember it
0: i don't remember it but there are there are still images of him like cradling her as she's dying. So it must maybe it didn't make the cut or something. I don't. Ouch! But I, I only remember something from the book. I'd recommend reading the book. It's a good book. Oh, I should probably watch the film book. though, what? shouldn't I? A book? So that's what what
2: like a film of words. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> How many
3: sequels were there?
2: Too many sequels, really.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: anyway. Shall we move on to our regular show pre-starter, which is uh, finally, maybe finally, are we going to do this when the cinemas are open and stuff? Who knows? guess we'll find out. It's our big picks from the small screen. It's a highlight of two or three things we've watched or streamed outside of the two films in review. And we love to start with our guest. So,
3: Alex, what's been keeping you entertained? So I kind of caught up with all of the Oscar films. I'm going to round these into kind of one selection. But um, I really enjoyed Sound of Metal. I thought it was amazing, actually. And I think it just it should have won the best picture. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it didn't. I didn't love Land as much. I did enjoy it. And also um, Promising Young Woman, which really affected me, actually. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that as well. Alan Partridge is back on our TVs, so- <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. I'm re- very... And I'm an enormous Alan Partridge fan. And I genuinely think that this time is some of the best stuff he's done, you know, as, as Steve Coogan has done with that character. Oh, yeah. really? Amazing. You're right, it is incredible, this series. And also, I, I rented Godzilla vs. Kong, which I had a blast with, to be honest. It was the dumbest plot probably I've seen in a very long <laughs> time, but I had a great time with it and... <laughs> Um, I probably will go and see it again when cinemas reopen. So, yeah. That's I'm all. waiting
1: until that's on the big screen. And I think the use of the word plot there was maybe a bit generous.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's, it isn't a spoiler, but at one point they go to the centre of the earth Brilliant. and there's sunlight down oh. there.
0: <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> big screen spectacle. Can't wait to get it watched next week when the cinemas are open. From last year, um, this is something you've spoken about previously, Ben, on Sky Cinema Now TV. I caught up with an American pickle. Which I really enjoyed. It doesn't really go anywhere. It go it tends mm. to trail off in the second half. Seth Rogan playing opposite Seth Rogen. Uh, but I thought it was quite it started much better than it ended. Um I thought it was very funny, I thought it was very sweet. But yeah, it could have kind of delved into to certain subjects a bit deeper. But I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. It was it was pretty good. But when it ended, it was yeah. it was just a very strange it just kind of stopped. It's almost like they ran out of time or budget or something, it was just Yeah, it was just a very sudden stop.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think the idea just ran its course in like the first 30 minutes. Yeah. I do think the effect of Seth Rogen playing against Seth Rogen and also Seth Rogen himself does a great performance in that film. Yeah. And like the effect of having both of them on the screen is like seamless. But Mm. yeah, it just by the end of it, it just it just didn't have anywhere to go at all.
0: Yeah, it definitely showed Seth Rogen in in a different light. And I really enjoyed his performance in this. And then from 2021 on Netflix, I watched Things Heard and Seen with Amanda Seyfried, which really should have been things not heard or seen because it's a big pile of poop (laughs) so avoid that at all costs if you can i was expecting quite a nice modern twisty horror it was just dull drab nothing really happened bored just you just don't care if i'm honest with you and then from 2006 starring helena bonham carter and eddie marson i watched 66 which is really, really funny. So it's about a young Jewish boy um, who his bar mitzvah falls on the same day as the 1966 World Cup final. A really fun British comedy, just bounces along at a good pace. Very, very funny. So yeah, if you get you Know if you're that way inclined for sports fans, it shows some really nice archive footage of the 66 World Cup, kind of England going through the group stages and the knockouts, and some nice stuff of the World Cup final as well. So, yeah, they're my three choices this week.
1: Random, I watched that when it came out. At the time, not many people are talking about that film nowadays. I know, right? <laughs> it was all right, yeah, it was okay. It
0: was all
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I watched uh, the Disney Plus put out, sorry, Hammond, on uh, Star Wars Day, May the 4th. They put so, quite a few bits, uh, sort of Star Wars bits, and they also started the first season and sort of feature length episode of The Bad Batch, mm. which is a continuation of some characters from uh, The Clone Wars and very enjoyable. Not particularly different. I was looking for maybe to them um, start to do something slightly different, but uh, very enjoyable, obviously well put together, Dave is involved, so uh, I'm
3: looking forward to watching the episodes as they come out each they week. They
1: changed the aspect uh, ratio, which I found was quite, made it a yes. bit more
2: cinematic, which was good.
3: Yeah, yeah. Definitely. The, f- the final um, season of Clone Wars was was, was excellent. Amazing. I really, I'm, yep. I'm really looking forward to the Bad Batch. Yeah.
2: yeah, it is. It's it's very good. Very very good. Finally, uh, Mercer, you'll be very happy t- uh, to hear I finally finished For All Mankind season two. Oh my God! Don't you dare say a word, oh. Alex. My God. Alex has watched it
3: it's, and he hated it. Get off the podcast. I didn't. I didn't. I, wa- <laughs> I, wa- I watched it for 10 minutes. I was really distracted and I thought, I will come back to this, but not okay. right now. So I didn't hate it's, it. I, I will go exceptional back. exceptional okay. television. And uh, it... Wow. Wow. Uh, that
2: show... When the first season was... Insanely good. Mercy, you and I have talked about it ad infinitum in the past, but uh, season two just takes its next level. And then where it ends, wow, I can't wait to see where, where they're going to go with the story after this because it's so absolutely good. superb TV. It is so good. Uh, and finally, I, I watched uh, Jupiter's Legacy which dropped on netflix which is the i suppose netflix equivalent of the boys in terms of being a very adult orientated superhero series that's very violent and sort of dealing with quite a lot of adult themes it's very good it was probably a little bit more conventional i would say mark miller his universe that he's creating there's a lot of shows that he's heading up the, what's be called the miller universe or Millerverse coming forward really good uh it's sort of juxtapose the origin story of this group of superheroes to what they're doing now uh, and where everything's going forward and i thought they got the balance right i have never read the comic books so i had no sort of context and, and for me it really worked and I'm, I'm looking forward to to the next series when that happens so yeah so that's that's me that's what i've been up to awesome
1: so i watched 2017's rider which was chloe zell's first film i haven't seen nomadland yet and i wanted to just catch up with that before moving on to nomadland so in this a rodeo rider meets with an accident that leaves him with severe brain damage and he refuses to quit horse riding despite all the doctors saying stop it stop riding on horses <laughs> this is amazing have you guys seen this film no it's no, gorgeous no. like the lead family are actually a real family uh, which is incredible because it includes the lead performer who's brady Jadur who is just absolutely unreal like it's his first ever film and he's incredible in the lead like it doesn't have a huge amount of momentum or plot but just helps the film give it like a really natural feel and it's beautifully shot. Great sweeping vistas on low plane, seeing the weather just rolling on for eternity. It's like absolutely amazing. So if you liked Nomadland, probably not for you, Alex, but go back and watch The Rider because uh, it was uh, all Rider. It was, oh, the Rider, The Rider. It's really, really good. So yeah, check that out. I have nice. rewatched all of Game of Thrones because I recently got it on 4K and my partner had never seen it. So we sat down and rewatched all of it. Hammond, did you get very far with this? No. Or did you just give up? Um... <laughs> I think I got like three episodes in. Right.
0: Okay. They're, they're very. Did you not watch season very one? L- yeah, season one, episode three. I think I got to the end of that. It's they're very long. Wow. Like you promised yeah, me. Are, you promised are. me boobs <laughs> and dragons on the previous podcast, and so far there's little of both. So I'm afraid my interest my interest
2: waned.
3: <laughs> I've never seen. I've never even seen any Game of Thrones.
2: I don't think you're missing much. The show's so frustrating because I. I, I love Game of Thrones mm. uh, going into the into the last season. And there's a, the culmination of of uh, story threads uh, that's been running throughout. Um, and that particular episode in the final season <sighs> should have been the culmination of the whole mm. thing. And they dragged it out for three more episodes. And it just was such a damp squib. And it was like, well, we need to tie up all these plot threads. But it was such a really poorly written we have to do this but i really can't be bothered it felt it feels like that and it, it just left such a bitter taste in the mouth and you see the vitriol online that's, as well yeah. and, and, and that same sort of comments and that's the frustration because it had built it had built on character and spectacle in a in a really good way as it as it as the shows developed and the episodes developed and the seasons developed and then it it just fell off a cliff yeah. It just fell off a cliff, and that was that's what's so frustrating about that show. And the apathy towards the supposed prequels and sequels and yeah. things that potentially are in like in, in There's little interest because of the way they ended it. It's a shame, because, the, yeah, you're right, the legacy mm. for the
1: show will forever be tarnished by that extremely rushed final season. And it's, it's weird that you mm. say dragged, because it is the shortest season, and yeah. it feels very rushed to tie up all those loose ends. But yes, they... They sort of stretch out the bits of of plot that they actually do have. I mean, when you go back and watch the whole thing from beginning to end, what's incredible is all the characters are so well defined up until that season. There are no characters that are definitively good or bad. Everyone operates in the grey, and you see things that sort of play off down the lines. Like things, are, the breadcrumbs are laid down, and then later on, those those performers just get those characters. They just knew them by the end, and it yeah. is such a shame that it just completely. just fluffed the landing at at, at the final and the final stretch i think ben off and wise the producers on the show that the amount of expectation on it 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 was never going to please anyone i totally get that but to to end it in such a a a hamstrung way is incredible i yeah it's a shame because the show is amazing up until that point and it is well worth going back and revisiting it because it is an incredibly well produced and amazingly put together television show it's just it will forever be tarnished by that that final bit and i don't think it should be cancelled i hate adamant fans foaming at the mouth going i think star wars should be redone <laughs> like i hate that i hate that culture that yeah. we're now in you know it yeah. is what it is like the ending doesn't quite work but it's still a phenomenal piece of tv so please hammond i think you should carry on with it i mean you you, you like incest right well there's lots of that born, born and raised in the <laughs> southeast mate it's our motto on our flag <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i promise i promise to go back and revisit it at some point. However, the next few months for me are fairly busy, but I'm I'm, I'm going to be travelling on trains a lot, so I could download a few episodes and watch them on my travels.
2: Yeah, make sure nobody's looking over your shoulder whilst you're watching some of the scenes. Yeah, yeah, not suitable for work. I'm not shy. It's fine.
1: I, I was the first leading man in, in the movie having starred in white chicks then this movie, my... so moving on then to our box office refund over to you mercer right so amc theaters posts a 567 million dollar loss but teases increasingly favorable environment for moviegoing amc the owner and operator of Odeon cinemas in the uk has reported a first quarter loss of 567 million dollars more than wall street expected as moviegoers trickled back to reopen cinemas there was little new to see in theaters during this period still chief executive officer Adam Aaron struck an upbeat note saying the internet uh, traders who pushed the company's stock price up to more than 320% this year has given him more confidence for the year ahead don't know why. Uh, those traders <laughs> now make up a big share of the company's 3 million shareholders and have already helped the world's largest movie theatre chain raise enough capital to get them to the end of 2022, which is fantastic. So, yes, this is the uh, the GameStop internet sharers who yeah. have driven the price up of AMC's stock and are continuing to do so in a massive fuck you to Wall Street. So it's interesting that that's still um, gaining momentum. Kind of.
0: Well, I mean, I was a pumper and dumper. I, I got into AMC very, very low. And when it hit, like, I don't know. Seven times my investment. I sold that shit, and got out of there. <laughs> uh, and I think most people have as well. I think the GameStop thing and the AMC, you know, this Reddit tribe that are trying to stick it to Wall Street, it's very short lived. See, so it's not going to work. Anyway, all I did
1: that out. Right, it was quite interesting. Further studios have penned fresh deals with the exhibitors in a sign that this is the new normal for the industry. So Cinemark has signed a new theatrical deal with five major studios, including Netflix, which is the first major chain of cinemas to make such a deal with the movie-slash-TV streaming platform. This means that Netflix's Army of the Dead is set to arrive in Cinemark theatres. Are we excited for Zack Snyder's
2: new film? Uh, I, I yeah. have to say, after, after watching his cut of Justice League, I'm yeah. probably more excited than... I was before seeing that, because it looks like he potentially can put together a reasonably coherent, enjoyable movie. But again, it, mm. is it going to be that usual Snyder issue of style over substance? I mean, the, the concept is, seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, the trailers yeah are great. and
3: it's got Dave Bautista in it, so he's always, he's always good value on screen. His Dawn of the Dead movie is great, I think. I really enjoyed that when it came out. So hoping that this will be pretty good as well. It's really long, though, apparently. It's close to three hours yeah 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 it's a that's a
2: again it is is it action and spectacle for spectacle's sake uh, as opposed to a coherent and structured story that will keep you gripped from start to finish which has generally always been his problem
1: over in the uk Cineworld and disney have agreed on a theatrical deal for the us and uk this now means that the world's number two exhibitor has new agreements in place with three of the major studios disney warner brothers and universal so that's good it's great it means that uh, at, you know as Arsene awesome picture house we can show nomadland in the cinema where it belongs mm-hmm. so that's that's great yeah Fantastic news! Disney have yet okay Hammond. Do you want to fall asleep and we'll wake you back up after all this Disney Disney news that's coming up? Okay, all right, brilliant. Thumbs up. We've got a thumbs up. Dis... <laughs> He's literally got out his phone. <laughs> Disney have yet again struck, chucked another major release onto its premier access platform, Jungle Cruise, based on the top theme park attraction and starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt will be available to watch in cinemas and via streaming on the same day with a confirmed date of July 30th. Sticking with Disney and in a move that will seriously piss off Phileas Fogg, Disney have reduced the theatrical window for Free Guy and Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings from 90 days to 45 days. That was a reference, by the way, to Around the World in 90 Days. That was the only 90 days thing I could think of. It's it's Around the World in 80 days. It's 80 days? Wow, well, I'll cut that yeah, out. Yeah. Oh, God, I thought it was 90 days. <laughs> Guys, I'm very tired. <laughs> Marvel Studios, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and Free Guy will open in movie theatres exclusively. Uh, Disney CEO Bob Chapek announced during the quarter two earnings call on Thursday. Both films will only play in theatres for 45 days before transitioning to home viewing and VOD on streaming. The decision is the final nail in the coffin for the traditional 90 day theatrical window that had been the industry standard for decades before the COVID-19 pandemic. I know that theatres, like traditionally speaking, the bulk of the trade is made in that first 35 days, so it probably shouldn't concern us too much that it's a 45-day window for the cinemas now. However, if someone's coming to watch something in that final week of play, like around the 35th, 38th day, if they know that it's going to be streaming next week anyway, do you think that will affect their decision to come and see it in the theatre? What do you think, Alex?
3: I don't think it will. Like you say, the vast majority of the business is done in the first two weeks anyway. And I think the people who come to see it in the last few days or weeks might just be going to the cinema to watch something anyway. You know, they, they might not necessarily be going just to watch that specific film. So I don't think it's too much of a problem, to be honest. And it's better than zero days. You know, at least mm, at least yeah. these films are playing in cinemas for for a month and a bit. But it's it's good news that they've managed to and, and they've also kind of assured us that those two films in particular are going to be in cinemas now. You know, we, we know that Shang-Chi and The Eternals are going to be in cinemas, even if it's for 45 days. So I think it's good news.
1: Nice. I can't believe I thought Phileas Fogg flew around the world in 90 days. I should have Googled it like you, Brian. Maybe Maybe
2: <laughs> he stopped halfway. <laughs> Eighty continuous days, but he stopped for a bit. I had a layover <laughs> had a layover for ten days in one of the countries on the green list.
0: Yeah, exactly. Such an we don't
2: know the ins and outs, we weren't there. Look,
1: <laughs> this is anyway. a film podcast, not a literary podcast, so there is
0: a
3: exactly. film version, a couple
0: I think. Yeah, there's several. There is. There used to be a Saturday morning cartoon as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I remember
1: that, whereas I play by a lion. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Is that all the news? That's uh, there's no more news. No more it's news. It's all done. Amazing. Yeah.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, your projectionist tonight
1: is Eric. <laughs> best job, he
3: does very, very well. Unlike you, hasn't time to check himself. Unlike you, yeah, alright, 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 alright,
0: alright. alright, alright, like you, alright, you Fantastic. Great. So moving on into our guest interview section, this week is Alex Evans. Alex has been working in the cinema industry for over a decade. He started his career as a projectionist at View Cinemas and went on to manage various cinemas for them before jumping ship in 2013 to join Picturehouse, where he eventually managed both of our Brighton-based venues, including the oldest continuing to work in cinema in the UK, The Duke of Yorks. In 2019, he moved into the operations department, where he can currently be found as the ops coordinator. And it's over
2: to Bree. Hey, Alex, thanks so much for coming Hi. on. Let's start with a question we always ask everybody. So what started your love of film? Do you remember the first film you saw and possibly which cinema you saw it in?
3: Yeah, so I I vaguely remember going to see quite a lot of sort of Disney films when I was really young. Um, like I remember seeing Peter Pan and I, I assumed that was a re-release because I wasn't alive in the 50s. Um, but <laughs> I, the, the one that I can kind of that I really fondly remember and I consider it to be the first one because I remember it so well was the original Jurassic Park, which nice. was 93, so I would have been five years old at the time. Um, oh, I'm so old. And, the, <laughs> and that was, <laughs> I, and I remember the cinema, it was the Odeon in Swansea, which is where I was born, where I grew up. Um, and it's not Odeon as we know it now. It was kind of a, you know, it was an, indip- I assume it was an independent, because, but it was just called the Odeon Swansea. And it was this, in my memory, enormous auditorium, one huge screen, hundreds of seats, giant screen. And we watched Jurassic Park in there. Yeah, it, it, and I remember my thinking to myself at the time: "Wow, they must have an enormous VHS player underneath that big TV," <laughs> which isn't actually too far from what does happen in a way. Um, you know, well, it's not uh, now, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, that was that's the first one I can I really remember, and it, I kind of. My lover film kind of goes back to that moment. And even my brother, who's who would have been two at the time, he came to see it as well. We went as like a big family. And I assume he was terrified all the way through. And I just remember <laughs> thinking, you know, this isn't what 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 is this? The whole experience was so overwhelming, not only being in the cinema, but the film itself, you know? Mm. I was seeing dinosaurs right right in front of me for you know, it was incredible. It was, it was amazing. And I remember it very fondly. That's an amazing first experience in the cinema, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome.
2: So what's your fondest cinema memory?
3: That's one of them. Um, but I used to go to the cinema a lot with my nan. She kind of took me to the cinema every Saturday, I think. I guess that's kind of where my love of cinemas and film came from. But a couple that I remember really well, obviously the first since Jurassic Park, but also the original Toy Story when that came out. For some reason, that one has kind of stuck in my head because... I think it was the first three D animated film yeah, uh, film to ever be released, and I remember it was a and, huge deal. Yeah, and I, 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 and I remember there was a lot of conversation about it. You know, you don't really pay attention to it when you're that age. I mean, when was that? Was that ninety six or ninety five? So, ninety five. So yeah, I would have been seven years old, and I remember just being enthralled by it while I was watching it. And I think I went to see it a couple of times um, afterwards, a bit later on. So. A bit like you and Rambo, Paul. I was obsessed with Tarantino when I was in college. Most people are, I guess, if you're into film at that, at that age. Um that oh, obsession. Yeah. And I was, I was I think I was like 16 or 17, so I couldn't go and see Kill Bill when it came out. But I was absolutely obsessed. I had to read about it constantly. And I, I had to wait for the DVD to to finally watch it. And obviously, I loved it and watched it over and over again. But I remember going to see Volume 2 at the cinema, and it was the first time I'd been to see an 18 at the cinema. And I was, I think I was 17, so I wasn't quite old enough. And it was like a big kind of adrenaline moment, you know, because you're sneaking in to watch that 18. And, and I remember that <laughs> and I remember that really fondly as well. And I still love those films to this day. And I actually saw them both on the big screen fairly recently. Well, before the lockdown, we played at a picture house, actually. And I went to see them both. And that was the first time I'd seen volume one at, at the cinema at all. And it was such a great experience. And it still stands up really, really well. Um, and that's one that I'll remember, to be honest, that double bill as well.
2: Nice. No, that's, brilliant. Yeah, that's a brilliant. Pretty- Pretty good. Tick box. that's a
3: really good, yeah, pretty damn good one.
2: So how did you make your, uh, your start in the industry? How did you get involved in the cinema industry?
3: I kind of started out training to be a teacher after I finished college. Um, but for a, a few reasons I won't go into now, that didn't really work out. And I kind of thought to myself, I'll, I'll, I I'll, need some time to think about what I want to do with my, in my future. So I, I'll just get a job for the time being while, while I'm kind of figuring out what to do. And I applied for projectionist role, which I saw on on an ad and I was like, oh, this might be quite fun, you know, you get to watch films constantly. Um which, <laughs> which you do actually. But um so I, I, I got that role and that's kind of where I started. I used to I used to love being a projectionist. It was I really looked back fondly on those days. And this was proper projection. It was 35 mil, you know, we had we had one digital screen at the we had 12 screens at the cinema that I worked at. One of them was digital and it was, you didn't really use that one. It was just on its own in the corner, but you know, it it was amazing because you would work a whole shift basically by yourself running these 11 screens you know r- running these projectors and you would just constantly be, be running around and, and lacing up film starting the film ending the film and I, whilst it was a really high pressured environment i really do look back on it fondly and it's a thing that's kind of gone now you know it's not really a it's not really a, a role anymore anywhere um not certainly not widely um and that's kind of how i started and i was made redundant when digital kind of took over Um, but I was offered a a role on the floor at the cinema which I was happy to take because by that point I really enjoyed working for the company and I kind of decided that I wanted to stay within that area and from them from there I just kind of worked myself up I mean it's weird when you think back and it you know that decision that I took to oh I'll just do this little job for a while changed my life really in lots of ways Mm -hmm. mainly obviously my career has, has gone the way it has and also I met my wife at the cinema we worked together nine years ago and it's actually incredible to look back and think what you know what would have happened if I didn't decide to take that role nice so you're currently the
2: as we've mentioned the uh, ops coordinator for picture house Cinemas. so w- what does your day-to-day look like in the role obviously well, it was obviously very covid 19 heavy yeah. uh over the boosting yeah. period but it's sort of in addition to that what you know what what would you be doing on
3: a so basis? every day is different to be honest it's a hard question to answer because the role is so kind of kind of broad I mean generally i work with the rest of the ops team um with john you know we had john on a couple of episodes ago and there's a couple there's a few of us and we basically support the cinemas and the managers and just kind of make sure that everything's running as it should be and that we're delivering you know to our customers what our customers need it's also very kind of project based so one week i could be helping open a new cinema say the next week i I could be working on a completely different project to do with I don't know the, the price of tickets, for example, it's really, really varied. And that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. Um, because that, that's the thing was my, my roles have always been quite varied. I mean, it is, as, as you guys know, being a manager of a cinema is varied as well, because even though you're technically doing the same thing every week, it's different films and you know, there's different events and so on. And that's one of the reasons why I love working in the industry is that it doesn't get kind of stale, but yeah, that's kind of what, how my role is. Obviously, like you say, it's been a bit different the past 12 months. It's been, we've been very focused on making sure our buildings are ready to reopen, but I'm looking forward to kind of getting back to to, to normal and, you know, getting out and seeing the cinemas and, and seeing the guys.
1: Nice. Guilty pleasure. Let's do it. What's your favourite guilty pleasure?
3: Well, a lot of films that I like, people don't tend to like very much. I mean, at the cinema, we, we do like an awards every Christmas, or we did when I worked at cinemas, and I would always win worst film taste. So I think I'm... <laughs> Quite known for not, you know, for having a lot of guilty pleasures. But I think last time I was on, I said the Resident Evil series. Um, Mm. I still stand by that because I do really like them. There's a reboot coming this year, which I'm quite excited about. But the one that I'm gonna, the one I'm gonna talk about. Why are you excited about it? (laughs) Why? Because I'm an enormous fan of the video games, and Mm. this looks like, from what I've seen, it looks like that it's going to be slightly more kind of in line with the games, not so much in as as the previous films were. So. Right. Yeah. If it even comes out this year, I think it's out. I'll do in the autumn at some point. But anyway,
1: it's what's her face coming back? Milo,
3: no, no. Out. It's it's no. It's completely new cast. It's it's basically a, a, a full reboot. Um, Good.
0: Aren't there now more Resident Evils than fucking Fast and Furious?
3: Ne- no, no. This <laughs> the seven Resident Evils. Oh, is that yeah. all? <laughs> and f- funny enough. <laughs> oh, lucky. Funny enough, the last one was called the Final Chapter. Um, and I hate when they do that because they never are the final chapters. You no, know it won't. Yeah. You mean, yeah. Anyways, that's not the one I want to talk about today. So a film that I that I do love, and I'm not ashamed to say, even though a lot of people really don't like it. And it's weird because it was critically acclaimed when it came out. And it even I think it won some Oscars, but everyone seems to hate it now. And it's Avatar. Oh. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, that was, yeah. Well, I was obsessed. When Avatar, came, again, obsessed. But when Avatar came out, I saw it at the cinema six times. I paid to see it six times. I saw, it three, wow. I saw it three times in its opening week. So I think I went like opening day, then again on the Saturday, then again later in the week. And That's I watched- a lot of hours of your life.
1: It's people like you that have made that film the highest grossing box office. I know, oh. I know.
3: And it is currently, isn't Endless. it? Recently it overtook Endgame. It,
1: is. it retook it yeah. from Endgame, yeah.
0: I've- and it sucks. Well, like, it genuinely sucks.
3: I'm, I'm not going to try and sit here and convince you because I'm not going to. <laughs> you've, you've hit the brief, Alex. I, you've have, hit the brief. I have. But I, I've seen it so many times and I still love it. I watched it for Christmas time and the CGI holds up really well. The world building is still really, really good. It's and so I, long. I, I know it is long. It is long. And I can't wait for the, I say sequel, there's there's about five, I think, on the way in the next few years, but um. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. That's my answer. I think I filled the brief as you say. For I'm not I'm getting I think, conviction. I mean, t- from
2: a technology perspective, I mean, obviously the the creation, you know, him creating brand new cameras to shoot this film, and the, and the 3D was exceptional. I mean, as as everyone went to see it for that initially and were completely wowed by it, and I was the same. And I walked away from that film thinking it was a great film because I'd been blown away by the way it looked. When I revisited it later, it's as a as a story, uh, and it's, yeah. oh no. No, for for me, but that, that's fine. I mean, it's you know it, it, that's the great thing about. I think mean, we've said this many times: the arts is, is that it's completely subjective. Then you know, somebody can love something, and the person sitting next to you can be absolutely loathing it. Yeah, for me, yeah. It just it, on a revisit it did not work for me at all.
3: I am interested to see what the reception is like for the sequels because I just say a lot of it was about the hype around the 3D and the tech and so on, and nobody likes 3D anymore. It's it's I, we never even get films released in 3D now, so.
0: That in 2009 and the sequel's what, next year? Just let it go, man. It's, it's fucking boring. I was bored all the way
3: through. Were you bored <laughs> even the first time?
0: Yes, really? I watched it on its opening night <laughs> in a salt-packed If you've ever been to Toronto, there is a 24-screen multiplex. Wow. and It's the concessions I was more excited about because their concessions is a centre island with 360-degree service but hmm. the lobby is so big it's got like a fast food court. So outside of the cinema concessions, there's like a Burger King, a Taco Bell, or whatever. It's a fucking incredible lobby. One of the biggest escalators I've been on in my life to get up to the cinema. I was and we paid extra because at the time there was this flash new sound system that they'd install that was oh God, it was just just bored. Just didn't get it. I guess visually nice to look at. But even mm. after after you see the fantasy world for the first time, I'm okay, cool. Mm. Some dude attached his ponytail to a fucking dragon and flies. <laughs> <a kid>. Not, <laughs>
1: It's not for me, man. (laughs) It's just a massively unoriginal story. And if you look at Cameron's other work, like Terminator Two, Abyss, uh, like True Lies, those have like science fiction or action thriller tropes. But the problem with Avatar is the story, the groundwork, the foundation is just so done, and he's made no effort to conceal it or put an original twist on it. It is all about that that world building, as you said, which the first time was impressive. But on subsequent viewings you go back to it and it's like there is not a lot going on here to make repeat viewing to worthwhile
0: well he's going to go four more times crazy we slate avatar five is slated i think for 2028 20, so Mental. maybe
3: when the sequel comes out i'll come back on the pod and i can say that you were all wrong because it made <laughs> loads of money and it was really good all right hey listen i don't doubt for a minute it's, listen fast
0: and furious is gonna make money it doesn't mean i have to fucking like it <laughs> fair enough <laughs> so wrong about those films
1: Podcasting
3: Final Frontier. These are the voyages of UCS. It's five-year mission to explore strange movie news, to seek out new films, films streaming on Netflix, to boldly go where every film podcast
2: has gone before. Has gone before. I'm not going to go through it. I didn't really understand the question. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just, Fuck okay, you, hammer I love that film. Right. So there may
0: be a vicious
1: room to mate. And I hate watch. I don't know who that rumor. Then, can we have a bell every time? Fascinating. <laughs> so I'm going to go because I want to get on my soapbox and have a rant. Don't take the bell, don't stick a bell. It's broken. <laughs> Fabulous.
0: So, moving on then to our in-review section. So, probably less for Paul and Ben. Alex, as a gamer, I'm not sure if you've heard of the FIFA apology rule. Nope. You're aware of this? So, essentially, uh, I used to be a regular FIFA player. And if you lose by a certain amount of goals, you must perform certain apology acts. So if you lose by five goals, you must write an open letter to your family and apologise for bringing shame upon them. If you lose by eight goals, you must write your opponent's parents a letter explaining why their offspring is far more (laughs) superior to you in every way. Um, And if you concede ten goals... You've got to create a custom greetings card and send it to the victor to apologize for the shameful manner of your defeat.
1: Sports is weird. Can I just say that right now? Sports is weird. (laughs) Why is this relevant, you ask? Well, allow me
0: to introduce my two films in review for this week (laughs) and you can each decide my forfeit. (laughs) Fuck me. I am so, so sorry. And if anybody, any listeners decided to do the whole watch along at home, I'm sorry, man. Spoiler alert.
1: (laughs) these films man
0: and um, right let's so move what was on your first
1: choice? what was your first choice Hammond? let's does do it this matter, what,
0: does it matter what order I do them in like there is
1: <laughs>
0: let's go with the notes
1: start with Billie Holiday
0: let's start with the United States versus Billie Holiday on Sky Cinema now TV 2021 directed apparently by Lee Daniels although did anyone direct this movie I don't fucking know Andra Day as Billie Holiday Travante Rhodes as Jimmy Fletcher Miss Lawrence as Miss Freddie
3: don't you know who this is she was thinking of something more special. Yeah, I'm downright flashy, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Billie Holiday. Take and the NAACP says Billie Holiday is the voice of our people.
0: I think we should integrate the audience for this show. Let's change it up a little bit. You know, blacks and whites sitting together.
3: You knew what you were getting yourself into when you decided to come on the road. Get
0: out of my goddamn clothes. I'm
3: going to take everything except your bra and your (coughs) man.
1: Which one of my songs is
3: your favorite song? Strange Fruit.
1: It's a song about important things, you know. Things that are going on in the country.
0: This is the story of Holiday as she is targeted by the Federal Department of Narcotics, led by Federal Agent Jimmy Fletcher, with whom she has a tumultuous affair.
3: Any comments? So I think we should point out, first of all, that the main performance is is brilliant in this film. Yep. And I think we can yeah. all agree on that, at least. Definitely. And she was well-deserving of the Oscar nomination that she received. And it's such a shame that the film around it was, was not as good. I mean, I didn't know anything about Billie Holiday before I watched the film, I'll be honest. And I still don't really think I know anything about Billie Holiday after watching it. Uh-huh. Um, there's one standout scene in the middle of the film, which... Kind of culminates in, in the performance of, of Strange Fruit, which was which which was really good. Southern trees bear strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root.
0: Black bodies swinging
3: in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging
0: from the poplar trees.
3: But other than that, it was such a slog. Um, you know mm-hmm. it there was there was kind of it was so uneven the tone was all over the place all the way through that it nothing really made an impression and it ended up feeling much longer than it was and whilst like i say we should praise the performance i think it's pretty weak overall
2: yeah i, I agree i think as i say her performance is astounding it is fantastic and the scene you're talking about where she comes across the the lynching mm. uh it, it that took my breath away. I, I was genuinely shocked by that and the performances of the children looking yeah. at, at, mm. the, at what was happening. And I liked the sequence that did follow that where she goes into the shack, but they, obviously they were moving the set around very, very quickly uh, as they, because then it became the theatre and then performing that, that song. I mean, I was aware of the song Strange Fruit before that, and it is such mm. a powerful song. If you, if you really look at the lyrics, it's, it's, it's a shocking analogy of, of what was happening in, in the States at the time. And that, yeah. that, that sequence was incredible. And the second hour of the film is much better than the first. The first hour really drags. The second hour, from that point on, is slightly better. But overall, it's such a missed opportunity. Mm. Uh, the, the music, obviously, was great. And the fact that she did actually uh, do her own, you know, she did sing those songs. She, she, she did. She, uh, yeah. and she does a fantastic job of it. But overall, so disappointing. So disappointing as a film. Should I do it? Go ahead. Just take me to your room. James. Ma'am, you know I can't allow her on here. Oh, James, don't you know who this is? I do know who she is, Miss makehead I also know I want to keep my child. So, her uh, you have to take the service elevator.
3: I'm not taking a fucking service elevator. Just move. Excuse
1: me.
2: Now they're killing us for less down south. literally men and women, please don't cause the fuss here.
1: Yeah, Andre Day, she needs to be in more films because looking back at her uh, internet movie database, she's literally just been in like Cars 3 as a voice and Marshall, I think was the film, the like the live action film that she did before this. To get that voice, because like, Holiday's music, it has such a distinct sound. And the fact that she got that gravelly tone to that performance and was able to sing and act. It was incredible. And I think a lot of biopics do sort of cheat a bit, to be honest, like Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody. like He didn't sing any of those songs. There should be a sort of separate category for people who are nominated in in these roles where they actually sing the music and absolutely nail it. It was amazing. And I will say this film, the film looked lavish. Like It had a high production value to it. It didn't look cheap, but It's almost like there's an intentional choice here to sort of hark back to traditional filmmaking and framework to the narrative everything is so heavily soft focus almost like there's vaseline smeared over the mm-hmm. lens on, on some of the scenes and like the bit you were talking about where she goes into the shack and the, the pieces it around i didn't like any of that fourth wall breaking it really didn't work for me it was like a, a poor man's michelle gondry <laughs> it, it, it's it felt a bit a bit stagey and a bit you know it was just it, it, it just didn't work and there were narrative bits in this narr- in, in the story which were just missing which is insane because the whole thing just dragged on forever there is a really interesting story here. It's the government, the American government at the time, yet again, sort of having a hand in trying to actively cancel counterculture, cancel artistic idealism. Like the the trial of the Chicago 7 is a good example of it done well. But it just doesn't work here. It just doesn't have the weight and it doesn't have the levity. It was a real... And I think missed opportunity is, is the correct mm-hmm. term there. It's totally a mess and Yay. a bit of a missed opportunity. I haven't said that in ages. But yeah, no. it, it really was. Because the, the lynching bit was... In, in itself was um, is amazingly done, but what is it doing in this film? Uh, I don't know. Joe, well, I,
0: everything you've said is, is what I was thinking about this film. This could have been an exceptional take on a huge piece of music history, a huge piece of cultural history that was just so badly let down by the filmmakers. I was annoyed by the soft focus. I get that of the areas, you know, smoky jazz clubs and stuff, but not every scene has to look like a smoky <laughs> jazz club. And when they were going back, I thought it was like, oh, they're going to show us some like actual grainy footage of the time. But they hadn't. They just switched the camera to, to black and white, attempted to grain it down a little bit. And it's like, Why? it brought nothing to the filmmaking so process. Weird. It brought mm. nothing to the film. Maybe they were as bored in post-production as I was watching it that they just thought, fuck it, let's just make this bit black and white. Let's make this bit a bit grainy. It's, it, it missed on so many levels. And it had such an opportunity to be such a powerful piece of filmmaking. And it mm. was, it just fell so short of everything it could have been.
1: You just walk away not really understanding who mm. she was as a as a person, and all the choices she makes, which were all horrible choices that she made in her personal life. Why hmm. did she make those choices? Why wasn't the film more focused on that?
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It really let itself down. So so's. <laughs> <laughs> right, moving on then to the second powerhouse which is on Prime 2021, and uh, I am full of remorse for making you watch without remorse. <laughs> I am so annoyed
1: you got in there with a the remorse line.
0: <laughs> what we know, Senior Chief Kelly is the third member to be attacked. Three perps are dead.
3: They better hope he doesn't survive.
2: is that?
1: He is more dangerous and effective than any man we have in the field.
2: These were foreign attacks on U.S. soil. We have to respond. I'm going to make it right.
0: There's something inside of me
3: that I can't turn off.
0: Directed, uh, allegedly, again, by Stefano Saloma. Uh, This is Michael B. Jordan as John Kelly, Jamie Bell as Robert Ritter, and Jodie Turner-Smith as Karen Greer. Plot, if there was one, Apparently it's a Navy SEAL that goes on a warpath to avenge his wife's murder, only to find himself inside
1: a larger conspiracy. I mean, it's great to see Billy Elliot still got some work. I'm pretty (laughs) pleased about that. (laughs) I want to go first because I want to get my remorse line in there. I was going to say, was without remorse used to describe the callous way the script writers ripped off every single action thriller (laughs) from the 90s? (laughs) And if that's the case, how did they manage to like poorly rip off the vast catalog of the films that I grew up with and loved and totally miss out the sense of fun that those films had. Oh. This is this film is so drab tonally and literally the final set piece and I'm I'm being extremely kind to call it a set piece because it all it is is the main <laughs> cast huddled down in a room sitting down for 30 minutes as they're being shot at. I couldn't see what the fuck was going on. Same. It was so dark and so poorly choreographed and shot. It was awful. I have no doubt that Michael B. Jordan is a star in the making. Yeah. His charisma, his acting chops—he is—he—he's a bona fide star like, from the off. Like, Definitely. and I said that about Fruit Till Station. Like, he's incredible in that film, and we all knew he was going to be a big deal. But he is better than this. This is really subpar, poorly directed, and boring. It's just
3: aggressively
2: mm-hmm. bland. I really didn't like this. It, it is truly, truly terrible. I mean, it's—it's it's, you know titled Tom Clancy's. Without remorse, but if apparently, I mean, I haven't read the book, but having, having sat through this awful pile of crap, um, <laughs> I was reading online uh, the comments, which seem to bear out my views on it as well. Apparently, it bears no resemblance to the story, the plot from the from the book. They've literally taken the title and then just sort of done what they want with it. Agent hey, Ritter
1: what's
2: the CIA got for us today, Lieutenant Commander? Sun's going down. We should get to it. The hostage is a CIA operative. We
1: believe he's being held by Syrian government forces in a nearby building. The call sign is Randy. We approach from the south. We should expect eyes on us here and here.
2: How many Syrian troops are we talking about?
3: I don't have that information. Wow.
2: Well,
3: that was a good talk. Are <laughs> you a comedian? Is that it? No, no, no. He's just a bit of a smart ass. No, that's not right. I'm the smarter. Yeah, he's uh,
2: he's more badass. Oh, Smooth. Like you said, Jordan's so much better than this. I mean, if you look at some of his choices, I mean, his choices are unbelievable. And he, God, does he deliver in spades. He's, he is true, true film star. And then some of his choices, including this one, you think, is it just because it's a payday? I, I don't want to be cynical about that, but I mean, I know he's very conscious. He he wants to. I read an article that he is looking at projects that would normally traditionally go to white male actor, uh, and is actively seeking those roles out. and And you can see that this film would probably have gone that way. So maybe that's why he's do, he, he's doing these things is because he wants to just force the that that agenda, rightly so, that you know it, casting should be colorblind. Mm. Uh, but I just think it's a really poor choice because the, the the script is truly awful. And like you said, the the final so-called set piece, yeah, it's people just sitting down, ducking for cover. It's just terrible. And then the the the, the final little scene, it was just. People it, it, they were looking like embarrassed to be there on screen, and I was mm. feeling uncomfortable for them as actors having to deliver this shocking script. It, no, it's just awful, awful, awful film.
0: Yeah, this this, this was utter. Shite. Laughable scenes where he was pretending to be drunk outside the Russian embassy just to get a look at some guy. Where the same could probably be achieved with more success if he just slowly walked past. Would have seen the same stuff, wouldn't have caused Mm -hmm. such a scene. He would have 100 percent been shot outside the airport when he crashed into a car and then spent some time pouring (laughs) petrol over it. He would have just been shot in the face by by airport security. So that's God, that uh, was (laughs) so bad. I mean, yes, I don't doubt that Michael B. Jordan is a star, but this film did make me bring that into doubt. The scene where the airplane is crashing is almost slapstick as he attempts to to wobble his way through a crashing plane. Yeah, just
3: just avoid. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> Alex, are you going to save this film from the proverbial dustbin? No, no
3: I'm not. I'm not. Um, although I didn't think it was awful. I just thought it was so aggressively yeah. average. You know, it's like the most three-star film of all time. and they are worse than bad films because they're just Mm. so boring to watch. You know, like they're not bad enough to be enjoyable. They're just kind of there and kind of dull and everything about it was just so perfunctory. It was just kind of, it was just on, and despite the fact that you watched it in painful attention, it's just it's not in any way entertaining. It's kind of been advertised as like a John Wick kind of revenge thriller when the action scenes are just so dull to watch. There's just constant gunfire, and they're filmed in a way that's just, you know, so unengaging. And also, it's got the world's most obvious plot twist. I, <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you don't know who the villain is pretty much immediately, then you're not trying hard enough, um, yeah. and that was just laughable, to be honest. But, yeah. Not exactly a bad film, but to be honest, I would have preferred if it was really bad because then at least I would have had a good time with it. Yeah. More fun. Yeah. 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 The
2: fact that it took me, I think, six attempts to get through it. Quitter. I watched it across about two or three days because I couldn't, I was so distracted by anything <laughs> watching this that i thought no I, to be able to review it i need to yeah. actually watch it so i'm going to switch it off now and go and do something else to come back to it. and it took me about two or three days or about six sittings to get through it and i think that probably it says
3: volumes about how poor i thought this film was Also, it it kind of painfully tries to set up a sequel at the end. Oh, yeah, Um, exactly. The sheer brass balls on Amazon
1: to go, guys, franchise starter. Studios, stop doing this. Make a film. If people go and see it, make another one. Not everything needs to be a fucking shared cinematic universe. Make a film. If there's an appetite for it, make another one. It's very simple.
3: Very passionate about that, Ben.
1: Oh, it annoys me.
0: (laughs) I I did watch Larmageddon on Prime, which I had much more fun with.
2: (laughs) I haven't watched it yet
0: we need to get on that if you haven't it. seen if you haven't seen *Lamageddon*, it is a 70 minute thrill ride it is I don't know whether it is absolutely fucking genius and the best film I've ever seen or it is just the worst film I've ever I don't know I'm so it's confused
1: over
3: Larmageddon I can answer that
1: question for you it's the latter <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm sure the Academy Award for Best Picture La La Land, La Land.
2: Thanks to our incredible casting crew we lost by the way but you
3: know. no no there's a
2: mistake Moonlight, you guys one best picture.
3: It's not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is, this is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Hello. Lauren, what did you do? I, I
1: opened the envelope and it said, La la la. la, la, la. I knew I would screw this show up. Go off.
0: Go off. Moving on to our regular in-scene question. And this was inspired by Without Remorse. Somehow that film's inspiring. Who is your favorite? And worst, on-screen villain in film or TV.
1: Well, it inspired us to think of better villains than... All right, this
2: is a spoiler. Yeah. Guy Pierce. all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you don't even need no! to see it. <laughs> yeah. You can see all kinds of shit in this film. So I'm, I'm going to go first to, to get in here. So my choice is for worst villain. Wait, wait. Choice is They're my choice. Oh, I'm not okay. going to. I, see, they, I don't have this reputation. Listen for to the playback. I, don't, I don't, pluralized it. I don't do lists anymore. Your default. Do your default action anymore. is to pluralize everything. So my choice for worst villain is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is Mr Freeze in Batman and Robin?
3: What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age.
2: How dare you? Steaming pile of shit as a film. What? Because of his star power at the time, he got top billing in the film. It's a Batman and Robin film, yet he was the name at the top of the bill. He had the majority of screen; he had more screen time than the main characters. And every single line was a shitty pun on being cold. It was just—it's awful. It's just awful, mate. No, um, we're vetoing that. I Sorry, for think... the
1: puns alone, you cannot pick that person. I can. You're wrong. You're so wrong. You're not going to put me in the cooler. No, it's no. amazing
2: off Arnie <laughs> I'm sorry it's just disgr- it's a disgrace uh, it's absolutely awful uh, it, it just makes me crazy. you're cringe. so wrong you're uh, so but wrong. this is all about personal choice this is not about what we think is is the world's opinion it's my opinion and it's sure. right. um but my choice for for best villain and because that character still makes me angry now it's Nurse Ratchet mm. from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest
1: Nurse Ratchet look look the chief put his hand up The chief put his hand
0: up. Look, he voted. Would you please turn the the television set on? The
3: chief voted. Now, will you please turn the television set on? Mr. McMurphy, the meeting was adjourned and the vote was closed. But the vote was ten to eight. The chief, he's got his hand up. Look! No, Mr. McMurphy. When the meeting was adjourned, the vote was nine to nine. Ah, oh, come on. You're not going to say that now. You're not going to say that now. You're going to pull that henhouse shit now when the vote that chief just voted it was 10 to 9. I want that television set turned on right now!
2: For me, it's the best film because ultimately, if you think about it, she wins. Mm. She actually wins in a way. But I, I can't think of a character in a film that has that I have loathed as much whilst watching a movie who gets away with it at the end and... Has, has lived with me ever since. I mean, that film came out in 1975. Now I didn't see it then because I was only six, but I must have been the 80s when I saw it. And she, it, that the thought of her in that film still makes me angry now. So that's why she's, in my opinion, one of the best screen villains.
1: That's, I mean, that's a great choice. Have you watched the TV
0: <laughs> series? I've, I've got
2: the. T- I've watched the first couple of episodes, and I'm really enjoying it. But uh, yeah, uh, nice. yeah, yeah, it's uh, very good. Sarah Paulson, isn't it, playing the lead, and she's she's mm. great in whatever she does. So uh, so yeah, but it, I'm enjoying it. But yeah, she that character is oh. God, my shoulders are getting tight just thinking about that film right now. She's horrendous. Yeah, good choice.
3: So my kind of favourite screen villain is the Joker, going back to Batman. I don't really have a specific iteration of the character. I just love the character and kind of in all of the different versions.
1: I'm going to put you on the spot. You need to pick one.
3: Okay. Um, Jack Nicholson, I think. Don't bother. Your life won't be worth spit! I've been dead once already. It's very liberating. You should think of it as, uh, therapy. (laughs) Jack, listen. Jack is dead, my friend.
2: You can call me Joker. And as you
3: can see, I'm a lot happier.
0: Fair. Terrified me as a kid. Terrified me.
3: And whilst Heath Ledger is amazing in that role, in that iteration of the character, I think Jack Nicholson is more like he's he, to me. He's more like the Joker, you know, the, the character as is. And that's my 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 pick for best. Now, kind of worst. I was trying to think of some kind of Bond villains because I used to love the Bond films when I was younger. And there's, obviously, there's always going to be a villain. And I couldn't really think. I think the worst one is. I, it's a bit of a weird choice, but Gustav Graves off Die Another Day.
2: <laughs> He's so shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: I'll sleep when it, I'm dead. It's just, yeah, exactly. I've got plenty of time to sleep when I'm dead. Just oh. the, the, the most kind of unthreatening villain in Bond history. Um, mm. There's a lot to, kind of to say about that film anyway, but kind of, he was my choice and and the way he kind of, I can't really remember, he's, it, doesn't he have DNA therapy to change his face? So, you know, it's just ridiculous that all oh, that film was ridiculous anyway, but, but that's my choice. The Joker oh, and Gustav Graves.
1: Yeah, nice one. Well, nice. sticking with Bond, so you can't talk about villains and not talk about Bond. And for me, my favourite Bond villain and maybe villain ever is from 2012 Skyfall, Javier Bardem as Raoul Silva. Notable for being the only Bond film where the villain, like you were saying with Ratchet, that is like, is he succeeds. He actually goes out and kills Dame Judi Dench, uh, which is exactly what he sets out to do, and he completely achieves his goal. When you're thinking about villains, you've got to think about the entrance. And the entrance and introduction for this villain in Skyfall is absolutely incredible. Sam Mendes and cinematographer Roger Deakins, they just have this POV shot over Craig's shoulder as he enters the room and starts talking about rats eating each other. And he just gets closer and closer to frame as he makes his way through this sort of evil layer that he sets himself up in. It's absolutely incredible. I'm less thrilled about the CGI mouthpiece. That doesn't work for me. But everything else, he is just an incredible presence. And just for that intro alone, I think he is one of the best, if not the best, Bond villain Good uh, that 007 has ever nice. come up against. And then nice. kind of sticking with that Bond theme, I was thinking rather than going for like like worse because the acting or the script writing is terrible, I was thinking of maybe worse as just being a bit incompetent. Will Farrell plays Mustafa in 1997's Austin Powers <laughs> and 1999's Austin Powers, despite <laughs> who shagged me. My name is Mustafa, and I'm the man who will be killing you now.
3: Duck Doctor! <laughs> Who sent you?
1: You'll have to kill me. Who sent you? Kiss my ass, Powers. Who
2: sent you? Uh, Dr. Evil. That was easy. That was easy. (laughs) Why did you tell us?
1: I can't stand to be asked the same question three times.
0: It just irritates me. Where's Dr. Evil's secret volcano lair?
3: I spit at that question.
0: Do I really have to ask you two more times? Go to hell, Powers. Fine. Where is Dr. Evil's secret volcano lair?
1: So Farrell plays a hapless henchman and he is just so, so stupid and really bad at his job. The scene in the first film where Dr. Evil um, terminates him <laughs> and you just hear him off camera talking about how he designed the mechanism that just killed him is is so funny. And then again, they play on that joke again in um, in yeah. the sequel. So yeah, Will That's Farrell true. as Mustafar is, is so funny.
3: That really holds up as well. I watched Austin yeah. Powers a couple of weeks ago, actually, and it, it is still as funny now as it was 15 years ago, I guess, when it came out. There on. are parts in that scene <laughs> that make me cry, like when it's just echoing. I don't
0: know if you guys can hear me, but... My- Jake, yeah. it's really broken. I think I can stand. Oh, oh, no, oh can't. no, no, I can't. And then, guys come in. Like.
3: and then guys come in to shoot him, and he thinks yeah. they're there to save him. And he's like, yeah. oh, good. And there's just you hear a bang. bang. You shot me. Why <laughs> did you shoot me? Great choice. So we've spoken about it before.
0: Worst on-screen villain for me. I, you, we've spoken about Batman and Joker iterations. And Jared Leto as Joker doesn't need to exist. Shouldn't be on the planet. Worst ever on-screen villain in terms of script, in terms of performance, in terms of hair and makeup. Hate, hate, hate Jared Leto as Joker. And my one of my favorite all-time screen villains. And I was only twelve when this film came out, and it still affects me today. Uh, and this is Gary Oldman playing Stansfield in *Leon* in nineteen ninety-four, yeah. the corrupt police yeah. officer. For me, uh, this this is the film that made me absolutely fall in love with Gary Oldman and watch everything he has done ever since this. He's absolutely mind blown And Ben, you talk about entrances when Gary Oldman walks through the shot up apartment block and he's just got his headphones in and he's super calm conducting. And then he asks for the shotgun. It's just a brilliant entrance. It is his stillness and his calmness throughout this movie is is just brilliant. And you know his death scene is also epic so yeah my, my favorite one of my favorite all-time screen villains is gary oldman in leon
1: that bit where he gets all the um the villains to descend on the apartment block and he just shouts out everyone it's so good <laughs> absolutely amazing oh
0: so good yeah film from film from my childhood and it's it stands up today i mean the uh jean reno's final line is a present from <laughs> Matilda, and it's the green pin it's so fucking good <laughs> so
1: good <laughs> So there we go there's my choices i feel sorry for Jared leto in suicide squad because i think just because everyone he made his choice man everyone who did the joker beforehand was just so amazing it was kind of he was like set up for a fail or is it do you think even if there had been bad iterations of the joke beforehand we still would have hated his joker
0: yeah but if you i mean when you hear about his like off-screen shenanigans oh, like God, sending yeah. sending live bullets in an envelope to will smith and he he sent a condom full of semen to one of the feet because he was trying to create this. He wanted people to hate him and fear him. And
1: where was HR when you've this gone, stuff was happening? Mm, yeah, you've gone too.
0: You, you've gone too far, bro. I mean, Joe Pesci making Macaulay Culkin scared of him to
3: make him scared in the Home Alone scenes is far more realistic than what Jared Leto did in Suicide Squad. I think. I think the worst thing about it is he didn't even feel like the Joker. It felt like a kind of a knockoff character, and that's that's the worst thing about it. I think. Mm. Yeah. the costume design of the tattoo on the back of his
0: hand of the face and it just it just falls so flat it's trying to be super evil and it's just laughable
1: mm-hmm. they're bold choices but they boldly didn't work <laughs> yeah exactly
2: <laughs> hey hey kids how would you like to hear this on the street instead of the great show you came to see on honest please cooperate and do your part
0: so, great. We're almost at the end. We just need to know what we are reviewing for next week. And that is going to be picked by Mercer.
1: Yeah, so my picks for next episode are going to be Ammonite, which has just come out in cinemas uh next week when what? they reopen. It's a <laughs> the cinemas <laughs> are open. It's the follow-up. It's a follow up to God's Own Country uh, from the same director. And my next choice is going to be the new Netflix animated film, which I'm gutted is not going to be showing in cinemas. And that is Mitchell versus the Machine, also called, what was it called in other countries? Compliance or something? Connected. Connected. Oh, terrible <clears throat> title. Mitchell versus the Machine. So that is on Netflix. We haven't done an animated film yet. Certainly not a family animated film. So... Uh, For this very unfamily-friendly podcast, I think we should do an animated film. And those are my two picks.
3: I can't wait for your thoughts on those films. Mitchell vs. Greens is brilliant. I had such a good time with it, and I'm really excited to hear what you guys think.
0: I'm really excited to watch a film in a cinema. I can't tell you. My God. (laughs) Even if it's shit, it doesn't really matter to me. I can't wait to be sat in there watching an actual film in an actual cinema. Brilliant. Uh, Okay, so... Time for your question. With cinemas opening this week, this week's question is an opening line. So from which movie is the following opening line from? Come on, boys. The way you're lollygagging around with them picks and shovels, you'd think it was 120 degrees. It can't be more than 114. No.
1: Done, silence. (laughs) Just sounds like another one of your intros. I know.
3: It's quite a lot to Google, isn't it? It's a to bring
1: to Google, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he will tell us this really long, well-rehearsed story in two weeks' time about, oh, Joe you know what I remember? as a boy walking into a cinema, well, sounds- and this, I heard... It sounds like it's a prison flick. <laughs> he says, frantic. Um, hold on, it sounds like a classic Breen. You're such a good actor. How are you not more famous? <laughs> Anyway, so that does bring us crashing to the end. That's it from me. Thank you all for listening and for making it almost to the end credits. And hopefully I'll see some of you in a cinema at some point soon. Over to
2: you guys. Cool. Yeah, let's just reiterate that point. Please, once the cinemas reopen, well, the cinemas will be open by the time you listen to this. If you haven't been to the cinema already, please. Go and watch a movie in the cinema. It's the best place to go and watch a film. It's a superb environment. It's unbelievably safe. The stats will prove it. You can look online at the stats of when we were open last year, how safe the cinema environment was. Please get in a cinema. Watch the incredible slate of films coming up to watch. Almost every week, there's something worth leaving your house to watch. So yeah, get in there. So please, everyone, be good. And if you can't be good, be careful. Be safe. Be healthy. Be in a cinema.
1: Yeah, can't wait to get back into cinemas. Super, super excited. And I couldn't possibly follow what Breen just said. So that was uh, amazing. Yeah, for everyone listening out there, thanks for making it this far on the pod. And I would just give you a hug. Social distancing, be damned. Let's let's just have a little audio hug right now. Here it is. It's happening. There you go. Bring it in. There we go. Let's do it.
3: Oh, that's
0: nice. It's really nice.
3: I just want to say thanks a lot for having me on again. It's been great. And I look forward to coming back on when Avatar 2 gets released in next year or whenever it is. And yeah, like Paul said, I'll see you at the pictures next week. Awesome. And if anyone does offer you a present
0: from Matilda, don't take it. See you on next episode.
1: You have been listening to Have You Seen This with Paul Breen, Ben Hammond, and myself, Ben Mercer. The main theme is the Godzilla theme tune, remixed by myself, with beats supplied by Lander. Please like and subscribe if you've enjoyed the pod, and please check us out on Facebook and Instagram forward slash Seen This Pod, seen spelled S C E N E. All views and opinions are those of their hosts
2: hammond's just just writing his porn hub app
0: i'm I'm downloading game of thrones all right good awesome <laughs> is that it are we done yeah that's oh, me. cool sorry I, I, as soon as disney plus and i'm amazed we're not talking about mandalorian so i tell them i normally go off for a minute and then come back once you stop talking about
1: this. <laughs> yeah, yeah i know we we can all see you <laughs> damn it Ooh.